Hello, guys, and welcome back to another episode of Live Well Bipolar. I am so excited to get into this one. I have a special guest for you guys that we actually got connected to each other on Instagram. And just a little bit about her. Her name is Sharice Jewell. She is the author of Crazy Memoir of a Mom Gone Mad, her story about bipolar one diagnosis and recovery. And she also has another soon to be released book coming out. She's going to talk to us about two in the episode. And I'm just super excited to have her here and get into her story because I always love being able to connect with other people who also have a diagnosis of bipolar and are wanting to share their experiences and their story. And I can't wait to get into this conversation. So Cherise, thank you so much for being here. Thanks, Paris. Thank you so much for having me and for that wonderful introduction. It's honestly, yeah. it's such an honor to be here. I love everything you do. I love all your posts. Whenever I see anything on Instagram from you, I know it's going to be so uplifting. And so thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Of course. And I'm just excited to get into this background because, you know, everything here, what we're all about is just being able to learn from other people's stories, what's been helpful, what hasn't, and just really how to overcome the obstacles that we so often face with bipolar, living with the diagnosis, managing it, the history of all the moving pieces that come with really being able to understand what the issues are, what the struggles are, and how to live well after having that and doing the work on it. So what did bipolar mean to you before your diagnosis? Yeah, bipolar to me, I don't know if I had some kind of intuition that I maybe had bipolar before I was Mm -hmm. diagnosed. I was diagnosed when I was 40 years old. So it was a late diagnosis. Mm -hmm. And it had always kind of scared me. um, Just that word, I didn't know much about Mm -hmm. it. I knew there was some rumblings of mental illness running in my family. My grandfather had manic depression. I found out after my diagnosis. It was always a bit something I was just afraid of. I was afraid to learn any side of that. Growing up through my adult life, I'd say I had depression fairly regularly, often affected by season changes. And so this time of year is actually my worst time of year and and Mm -hmm. time changes. So, you know, right after daylight savings, time changes, like everything kind of (laughs) hits at the same time. I always thought I had something a bit wrong because Mm -hmm. I knew I had episodes of depression that were affected by certain things or by triggers. Like, for example, when I had a miscarriage in my mid 20s, I was devastated. And so -hmm. many people kind of were like, I mean, yeah, it's sad, but it's not, you know, you shouldn't really be this sad about it. So mm-hmm. I always felt like, huh, what's going to mm-hmm. happen to me kind of thing. But so when I was 40, I had a manic episode for the first time in my life and it was euphoric mania. So it was just wonderful. It was just mm-hmm. so fun for a good week or two before it started to turn really kind of scary when I started to get paranoid and mm-hmm. exhausted and irritable and everything kind of hit. And that's when my husband took me to the hospital and I was diagnosed with bipolar one. So then that was terrifying for me because the idea of mental illness had always been something that horrified me. Mm-hmm. And I'd known it to be in my family as something to be ashamed of as mm-hmm. I was growing up. So I was, I was ashamed without even knowing what it was when I was in the hospital. It was horrible. It was shock and denial and fear. Wow. Oh my gosh. Just sitting here and hearing you go back and describe all of that. I feel a lot of the same 
feelings that you bring up when walking through getting your diagnosis and having that happen at 40, right? Because everyone has different time period of when their diagnosis was or when it came about, different point in their life. But I really love how open you are with that, especially with talking about the way that you felt in terms of the shame and having that history in your family, but really associating that with so much shame and no one really wanting to touch too much on the topic. Like, you know, it's there and Mm -hmm. it's there somewhere, but you don't really know too much about it. And especially to talking about the miscarriage, I think is huge because really realizing how common some experience like that is and other women going through that and to really communicate because I feel like, especially when you're talking about bipolar with the episodes and you talk about when you were 40, having the first manic episode. And then before that, really having a lot more of the depression, which is really pretty similar to my experience of having a lot more of that depression in the beginning leading up. And when you had your diagnosis in the hospital, when you were there and when you came out, what was it like to transition back in into your life? So hard. It was, yeah, it was impossible. So I have three kids and I didn't even feel capable of really caring for my kids when I came out. I just didn't know what I would be able to do and what I couldn't mm. do. I had no idea what my limits were and what would trigger me or stress me out too much. I didn't even think I could drive my car. So if I couldn't drive my car, I couldn't do anything Mm -hmm. for my family. It was very scary coming out of the hospital. And I felt very alone because I didn't have any kind of support group at the time. This was in 2017 in Alberta. And I had a psychiatrist and I sort of had a therapist. I didn't really connect very well with my therapist. I was just completely overwhelmed. And I actually started a new job the day I was diagnosed this (laughs) place where I'd interviewed for, they called me to offer me the job because I'd been manic when I interviewed. So of course I got the job. So I was, I'd been looking for a new job and I started working like two weeks or something after I was released from the hospital thinking Mm -hmm. this will be fine. I'll be able to do this. I couldn't do anything. I couldn't concentrate on like Mm -hmm. basic Excel spreadsheets. I couldn't function. So I ended up quitting like within a couple of weeks I just felt useless and I was depressed because as mm-hmm. I'm sure you know, after mania, it's a roller coaster and you're hit with severe depression. So mm-hmm. I was depressed for the better part of the following year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially when you bring up the manic side of having the interview and then getting the job and then thinking, I can do all these things. And you're kind of like just going, going, going and having yeah. that focus. But then at the same time, coming back and then trying to transition back into this and having three kids and being like, I can't even take care of myself. How am I going to yeah. be there for my kids? And just even driving, it's almost like reteaching yourself yeah. how to live like normal people live. Totally, so totally. it's it's a hard thing to get into. And I love that you kind of mentioned, especially because you're from Canada, right? From well, Canada. I was born in South Africa, but okay. I, we moved to Mississauga, which is just outside of Toronto when I was mm. seven years old. So I grew up in Mississauga oh. and then, yeah, I've lived in Canada since then. Oh, wow. During this time, was there anything that you could say in terms of that you had a support system or anything that you felt safe having these conversations or sharing? So um, yes and yes and no. I didn't Mm -hmm. totally feel safe, but Mm -hmm. I also knew it was because of my miscarriage. I knew it was really important. My miscarriage had happened years earlier, back in 2005, Mm -hmm. but I felt a similar kind of shame at the time when I miscarried. I felt like it was something I couldn't talk about because people didn't want to talk about it for the most part. Mm -hmm. 
So I had joined a support group of people who we did talk about it and Mm -hmm. it just took away those feelings of shame or embarrassment. So because of that, I knew I had to talk about it once I was released from the hospital. It's quite easy for me now to talk about it. It really wasn't easy. It took like, this is years later. It took a long time to feel comfortable talking about it. But I started just by posting online on my Facebook profile or I didn't have Instagram at the time. So little tidbits about this just happened kind of thing. And I was really nervous even posting online, but it's fairly benign, right? Like Mm -hmm. if I'm just posting on my own page, if people don't like it, they can just ignore it. So I got a lot of support from the community where we were living. I had Mm -hmm. a number of friends who I didn't really realize. We had only moved there two years before and I didn't realize Mm -hmm. how good some of my friends were. And they started to help me open up about it a bit. And once Mm -hmm. that happened, like once I could start talking about it a little bit in person without crying, I started to feel a little less ashamed. Mm -hmm. And I had my siblings, like my sisters back home and my mom, they would try to help me talk about it as well to Mm -hmm. feel less stigma from it. Yeah, because that's a big thing I notice with other people I've talked with is just not having that support system or maybe they're people closest to them not sure of how to support or what to say or saying the wrong thing or just a fear of it. So they almost don't even get into the topics or really ask the person too much about it. Like, hey, like I know you were just in the hospital. How was that? Or what was your experience? You know, being like, oh, maybe I shouldn't bring that up or I shouldn't ask her about these things. But I feel like, like you mentioned, going through the, su- the support group, especially too, like getting into the support group, talking about the miscarriage, which is that thing that we feel like we cannot talk about, yeah. don't know how to talk about it. It's a lot of shame. And then also starting to internalize that yeah, and then exactly. taking it as like something I'm responsible for, or I'm incapable of doing this thing. So I feel like getting around other people who've had that experience, that's huge. And it has been critical. You're right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you're right, because my husband was extremely supportive. Like he right Mm -hmm. away recognized I needed help. He took me to get help. Anytime I had an appointment, he would go with me in the first couple of years of my appointments. And Mm -hmm. like in any way that I asked him to help, he would help. But he he didn't know how to talk about it in that exactly how you just described. Mm -hmm. He didn't want to upset me if I wasn't upset. He didn't know. We're just very different in that way. Mm -hmm. So it was really important for me to connect with people who had had some kind of similar experience or Mm -hmm. so I just felt less alone yeah and then getting on that note of just feeling less alone especially with the way how we speak to ourselves in our inner thoughts right about situations so I'd love to get into that for you think back to when you were struggling at your most what things did you have to change about your life or how you spoke to yourself or different habits that you had? Like what things did you have to change or? Yeah, there were like in hindsight, it wasn't as difficult to change what I needed to change as I thought it would be. I was so Mm -hmm. limited in my belief of like, oh, how am I ever going to do all of this? But the main Mm -hmm. thing for me, there were two main things I'd say. The first is sleep because I never prioritize my sleep as mm-hmm. so few people do. And I've always been a night owl. So I always would push mm-hmm. it to the limit and then go to sleep and have trouble sleeping and wake mm-hmm. up and have a rough day, but it'd be fine. So I had to really become diligent about my bedtime and my wake up time. And, and that's honestly, that's still hard for me sometimes because Mm -hmm. I love sleeping in, but if I sleep in, I'll throw off my night. So I know what I have to do and I have to be diligent about it. Mm -hmm. But the second thing for me, which 
it was very interesting because I had never realized it, but as a mom and even as a woman, I found I put my needs on the back burner so often. Mm-hmm. I found if we were like running errands or something, I get tired. I can't do too many errands in one day or mm-hmm. I need a snack. I need food when I'm hungry. I need to eat. It's, and I would just ignore those kind of like minor mm-hmm. triggers, but they all add up over time. So I started to really speak up for myself more, which no one had ever said, no, we can't stop mm-hmm. for a snack. No, you have to just wait. Mm-hmm. I just internalized that myself I, as I think we do like as women. Mm-hmm. So it was really eye-opening to me to see that I had to really speak up for myself and prioritize all of my needs, like sleep being key, but also any need I had. If I needed the bathroom, I needed to prioritize finding a bathroom. I didn't have to just sit in the background and let everyone else make my decisions for me. Mm -hmm. No, I love those because I feel like especially with when you mentioned the part of speaking up for yourself is – bit is huge too, especially when then you mentioned being diligent about what you're working on. So with your sleep and being a mom and putting your kids first, putting your husband first, putting all these things first, and then really kind of ignoring yourself and especially being like, okay, well, I'm tired, but I'm just going to stay up too. Cause I feel like that's something that I had a big thing with was like you mentioned being a night owl. So staying up all like like 1, 2 a.m., 3 a.m. and no just problem. and then yeah. <laughs> just fine. You're totally good with it and then just sleeping a lot more and then feeling waking up and feeling bad because I'm wasting I've wasted the whole day. I'm yeah. not getting a lot done. And then again, the whole cycle of being hard on yourself starts over again. Well, uh, okay, I'll just do it later. I'll push it off till later. But I love how you were able to have the awareness of that because I know that's something that can take a lot of people so long to even get to that point because it's just about continuing to do what you're doing and you kind of get stuck in the loop of that. So what has been helpful for you with staying diligent about caring for yourself in these ways? Well, so the main thing that makes me stay diligent is because I went off my meds. I didn't go completely Mm. off, but I did reduce my meds. I was non-compliant with my meds Um, a year after my diagnosis because I was starting to go manic again because it was spring Mm. and I was fed up with everything that the way I'd been feeling for the previous year. And Mm -hmm. I wanted to like question because I hadn't needed medication for 40 years. So why do I need medication now? So I started Mm -hmm. to wean myself off of medication and I almost immediately went manic again, like the exact mm-hmm. same weekend a year later, and I was hospitalized again. Mm-hmm. And it was awful. Like it was a, a terrible experience. But the one good thing to come out of it is that it really made me realize this is real. This is a real illness or condition, and I have to respect it and I have to do what I have to do, which includes taking meds mm-hmm. and doing the other stuff and getting proper sleep and exercising or getting fresh air, or eating pretty well for the most part, just staying diligent mm-hmm. about all of the things to not end up in the hospital again. Mm -hmm. No, I love how you get into that because you lived it. You know, it's like, you're like, oh, I had this diagnosis. I was in the hospital and then reducing the medications and almost going off, but really, really lowering it. And then having the manic episode come back. That's something that I can relate to a lot because I had pretty same experience because I know with my hospitalization, I was, you know, on this medication and then kind of dropped it down a lot and started to notice these things coming back. And it does get to be frustrating because you feel like you're like, oh, I've done all this 
this work? I'm doing fine. And then like you say, thinking I've been 40 years of my life without medication, you know, I've done made it this far. I think that's huge because just being able to realize these different things are part of your routine and looking at it as any other way. You know, when we don't look at people differently, when they have a physical diagnosis or when they break their bone or they're in recovery from maybe an injury or they have a diagnosis of maybe a heart disease or something that's wrong with their lungs or cancer. And then what they're doing for their treatment, we're not like, oh, you made, you've gone your whole life without this. Why do you need to do yeah, it now? Exactly. So exactly. it's like, we're doing that to ourselves. So I love that you yeah. bring that up and talking about sleep, exercise, eating, and having that be part of your routine, because that's really what I found is to be effective. And it's not like there's anything wrong with you because you feel like you put a limit on yourself of you can't do it or whatever it is. But you know, if something's working well for you, then that's that's good because so many people try so many things to get to that point of just feeling like, okay, I'm feeling good where I am. And that's what I think is so unique about everyone is there's people who are on different kinds of medications or different kinds of treatments, but it's different for all of us. So if you have one thing that you're focused on right now and continuing to work on or trying to you know, understand better or just do the work, do the work more. Oh, that's a great question. Mm-hmm. Um, I need I, what I'm trying to work on more for myself is more therapeutic techniques in the moment. For example, doing CBT journaling, mm-hmm. where I know it's effective for me. I've learned it. I've practiced it. But in the moment of something, I'm often busy, and I think I'll write it down later. And so I I don't I don't get mm-hmm. back to it usually. Whereas this is, again, something where I really need to prioritize, okay, I do need to just sit down and take 10 minutes to do that now, and it'll really help me. Because I know it does. Whenever I've done even like a simplified CBT exercise to help with how I'm reacting to something in the moment, I instantly feel better, like almost every time. But Yeah, no, that's, I think that's huge, especially when you talk about in the moment, because especially when you're going through something or maybe it's with your kids or what you're doing for work, or you have the seasons changing and the times, the time zones changing and everything's coming up with different things. We all have all these things that are coming up, but being able to say, you know, this is making me feel this way and just checking in with yourself and knowing, okay, I'm feeling overwhelmed or stressed out or excited about this or irritated or whatever it is. And really being able to like get that down now because I feel like that's the thing is not to help with the reaction part of going into being like, okay, I'm just going to cut all this out or isolate or push things away and really having that clarity because I feel like that's something that uh, everyone could benefit from. So do you have an example of something that happened recently that you kind of use that? It was It's not that recent. It happened probably about a year Mm -hmm. ago the last time Mm -hmm. I did this exercise. But Simplified CBT, to me, it's just writing, like, I have a journal. Oh, I don't have it here, but it's just Mm -hmm. a small, oh, it's about this size, my journal. So Mm -hmm. I have, like, the paper, you know, it's not that big. It's limiting myself to, instead of journaling for pages and pages and pages about something, it's limiting myself to just answering specific questions. So the questions being, like, very basic, like, what happened? And just one short paragraph. How did you feel about it? One short paragraph how did the other person or something like how could the other person have like what could they have been thinking like what could their Mm -hmm. perspective have been can you see it from their perspective so then that makes me think and 
like this one day I was mad because my husband, something happened. We were driving and we had some little snippy exchange while Mm -hmm. one of us was driving or something. So I was writing something about like, well, he could have just been hurrying and I'm trying to see it from his perspective. And that's really hard Mm -hmm. when you're in a couple too, because you're so used to your typical, you know, baggage and roles. It's really forcing me to be like a little bit compassionate towards him in a moment when I probably wouldn't be. The last question being like, what was the result? To say like, did it matter in the end of the day kind of thing? Four simple questions and writing like just a quick paragraph or bullet points even for each one where after that, I feel a little, it's, I think it's really that perspective question that really makes Mm -hmm. me feel a little bit better usually. Yeah. I love that because I feel like it's almost goes back to this aspect of stories of how we can end up creating stories of, you know, this person thinks this and this is why they react. They said this to me and we tend to take it more on a personal level. So I love that you have that outlined of being able to say, okay, here's what happened and here's how like I feel about it. But then, you know, what did the other person have to do with it? Or what did they say? Or why do you think that they might've been reacting that way? Just to kind of help you just look at it and get it down. Cause I know that's how I can be jumping right yeah. into things of like, Oh, like this person, you know, is upset yeah. or they're taking it out on me. And, and then just, just like really letting that come in. Yes. And I love that exercise because I feel like, especially when you talk about the result of being like, okay, here's what happened. And going back to the things that you can control and that you can change and then moving forward, because I feel like that's always a huge thing to look at and just really helps you feel better. And just in general about your experience going through the different things that are challenging. So I love that what you brought that up. And another thing too, I would love to ask you that I always want to ask everyone the biggest Biggest and last question, if you could give me the number one thing out of your entire experience so far in your life that has been the most helpful for you in being able to live well bipolar, what is that thing? So it's hard to describe it in a way. I hope I answer your question. Let me know if I don't. But (laughs) the number one thing for me that helps me live well with bipolar, because we talk about it very openly in my house. So my kids are very well-versed in conversations like they always get a plus on all their mental illness homework when <laughs> it comes home from school and we talk about it openly and the way I started talking about it with them was to point out people who had any kind of mental illness if that person it was first Lincoln Park whenever Lincoln Park mm-hmm. came on the radio in Alberta in 2018 we, I would say oh do you know Chester Bennington? Like, so if I point out someone, whoever I point out, so of course this weekend we were watching the Selena Gomez documentary, Mm -hmm. which was fantastic. And I loved watching it with my kids, but it really helps me to point out to my kids, anyone who they admire and say, did you know he has bipolar? And my kids are like, oh, no, I didn't know that. Like, I feel very cool in my kids' eyes when I'm able to say this to them. So I think part of, for me, living well, living my best mm-hmm. has been just that open communication, which mm-hmm. took some time to build up, but now it's very rewarding. Oh my gosh. I love that too, especially when you talk about the openness with it and especially teaching that to your kids, which is huge because... I wish that growing up, I would have been able to learn more about these things. And just the fact that you're so open that now when they're able to grow up, they can say they have a lot more understanding of it, which is going to 
make a huge impact. So I love that. And honestly, I cannot wait to get into your book and just your story and the other one that you have coming out too. So before we pop off here, tell everybody where they can get connected with you. Sure. Okay. So my website is just my name, shereesjewel.com. And on my website, you can find my email, which is well, it's there with my, all my handles for Facebook and Instagram. Um, my handle, I'll spell it out. It's Reese Chael. It's R-E-E-S-E-C-H-A-E-L-L. It came out of my first mania <laughs> and I really <laughs> liked it and I was really inspired by it. So I kept it. That's my handle, but it's just my nickname. And then my name's combined. Sharice Jewel is Chael. Um, Amazing. And my book, I'll just mention there, it's all the information about my book is on my website as well. So Yay, thank you for Awesome. Of course. Yeah. And I'm going to link that too in the show notes for you guys too. And definitely connect with her. Her book is on my list to read next. And I can't wait to get into that. But Sharice, again, thank you so much for coming out and sharing your story and just being so open and vulnerable with your experiences and sharing your story of what's made a difference for you and what's been the most helpful and just what you're continuing to work on. I really enjoyed talking with you and I can't wait to just get into your story. I had a great time talking with you, Paris. Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, I hope you like my story and definitely take breaks if there's anything triggering. And Mm -hmm. I've been told by a lot of people that a lot of it is relatable, which is quite sad, but also hopefully it separates or it brings together people who feel Mm -hmm. a little bit alone. Yes. All right. Well, thank you so much, Therese. And I want to say bye to you guys. All right. Bye, everyone. (laughs) Bye. Bye. Bye.